0: This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection.
1: We're back and today we have a really, really interesting topic for everyone. And you know, on The Exchange, we're obsessed with talking about customer connection. So today we are talking about how to product manage e-commerce experience for your customers. Um, Now, neither Alex or I are e-com product managers. Uh, but luckily, we have a special guest on uh, on the podcast for you here today.
0: Yeah, today we have Julia Friesen joining us from Nix, And I'm super excited because Julia is one of those people that I go to all the time uh, to get a pulse on what's going on in e-com and especially with what's going on with customer experience. So really pumped for her to be here. We also went to school together and both somehow ended up into e-com. She just ended up with the much cooler job than what I have being an <laughs> ecom product manager. So welcome to the show, Julia. Hi guys. All right, we're excited to have you here, but I think like the number one question to get us started is what is an ecom product manager? Because in my network, I know a lot of product managers and no matter who I talk to, I get a slightly different response to what they do.
2: Totally. Um, I think it, it varies a lot. I think e is fairly new and product management is fairly new. Um, so sometimes it can be a bit easier describing what it's not. <laughs> so, um, you're not working on physical products. You're not working on the products that you sell. It's more that you're working on the features and experiences of selling the product.
0: Gotcha. So you're not the one that's there designing the actual bras
2: exactly uh no i have nothing to do with the amazing products that we sell um i'm just helping facilitate those transactions so sometimes it's easier to think of it as like a features manager rather than a product manager i think also um typically a product manager is looked at from the like SaaS kind of point of view um and they're again building those products that they're actually selling where i'm more of a middleman like i'm creating the features and the quote unquote products that facilitate the sale
1: that's that's really interesting and and the point that you just made around like it's different from like b2b when we think of product management you're right it's like you're building that you're building the product itself mm-hmm. it sounds like when you're saying features it's it's like you're curating the experience that would allow someone to understand like the value of the product and then how to get it is that correct
2: Totally. Um, I think there's also like an added layer of of interest with e-commerce because so many um, e-commerce companies are built on a platform that already has a lot of those features. So we're built on Shopify. There's also like Big Commerce or WooCommerce. Um, so there's like this added asterisk of, yes, I'm building the features, but I'm building the features on top of an already built um, kind of core framework. So it's a, it's a really interesting space to work in because you're, you're partnering with so many different applications and then finding where your company adds its unique kind of offering in the sales experience.
1: And uh, how did you how do you get into the job? How, like what what led you to that path? It's a, it's a really really cool cool position to be in. I'm curious what what was your background?
2: I like to say that I tripped and fell into product management. I have no business <laughs> being here, but I love it. So I started with Nix uh, just over three years ago in customer service. Uh, I was helping fit people in bras, selling underwear on the internet, and then. The company was a lot smaller then. It was only eight people. So I started kind of finding things, feedback that customers were saying about problems they were having on the site. And then I truly used Microsoft Paint (laughs) to mock up my (laughs) recommendations uh, and then started working with a contract developer, ended up moving into a merchandising role. And then from there, ended up into product.
1: Super, super interesting. That's a really cool path. I mean, starting from being one-on-one with customers to then sort of... You know, pick, picking your head up and moving farther away from individual customers, but creating experiences that work across you know thousands of customers at the same time. And it actually, it mm-hmm. actually feels like a really logical path now that we're now that we're saying that.
2: Yeah, it it worked out. I, I really love it.
1: Cool. What uh, what's the secret to finding the next big thing to work on as a as an econ product manager? For
2: sure. So I think the best kind of piece of advice i think we're often always looking for that that thing that's really going to move the needle and sometimes that can feel like a really big question um but i feel like in practice it's usually some sort of like tangent off of something else so um i really am a big advocate of like just start truly any project (laughs) and then you'll kind of snowball from there so um Sometimes you'll be working on something and, you know, it never sees the light of day, but you're going to use the tech stack that you were kind of investigating for that project um, to facilitate a new idea. Or in starting a project, you'll be asking some questions to understand, you know, what is the real goal of this ask from your stakeholder and realize that there's a much more interesting customer pain point um, that could be a lot more effective if you solve that problem. So it's usually some sort of tangent off of another idea is how I find my next kind of big project.
0: And I noticed that a lot of the time, Julie, I see you kind of like posing questions out into your network. Is that a big part of finding what the next big thing is as well?
2: I find that it kind of like plants the seed for something like six months down the road. I I love talking and nerding out over e-commerce. I find it super interesting. Um, I'm probably one of a select few. Um, But I find I love talking with people about e-commerce because I think that I mean, with any technology, it's so new that a lot of the times the big conversations, the like really buzzy conversations, your customers are completely disinterested. Like you really have to train your customer to know how to interact with your sales experience. I mean, right now we're what, six months into COVID and everyone, every customer has just had a masterclass in how to buy online, but they didn't have that before. We had to train them. So, you know... All the cool, interesting things that are like getting me really excited about e-commerce, our customer has no idea. Like they're not not on LinkedIn, like creeping other people's sites and like figuring out what people's next big thing is. They're just trying to buy something online today for the first time. Um, So I love going out to my network, but it wouldn't be so much for what I want to work on today. It's more to like plant seeds for what I want to do, you know, end of next year.
0: Yeah, I hear that, and I mean, like, the nerding out on e-commerce is one of the reasons that, like, we end up talking so often is just to like nerd out on on those yeah. types of things. But um, I think, like, you've talked a lot about the sales experience, and we call it the customer experience. But just building those experiences, I think that Nix is absolutely crushing customer experience. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is using content as a way to engage your customers. And I think that Nix does an amazing job with this. And I've actually seen your uh, face on a couple articles on the Nix blog. So um, (laughs) maybe tell me a bit about what you guys are doing with content, especially on that blog side of things. And like, what do you guys write about and why?
2: Totally. Um, So we have an amazing content team. Um, Steph and Isabella from Nix are are just incredibly creative people. Um, But I think our content kind of comes like one step back from from the actual content team and i think something that joe our ceo has done really well is she just like consistently sees women as complex intelligent individuals and i think that that's something really refreshing um in marketing content i think there's a lot of like infantilization of women and this like um over kind of eroticism of, of women especially within intimates and like no one is like waking up late for work being like, I'm a Victoria's Secret angel. It's like, no, I'm waking up late for work. And like, I just need to like find a clean pair of underwear. And I think like, that's our approach to intimates. It's like, we really talk to women like they're people, which sounds obvious. But um, I think that that has been why a lot of our content is so well received is because women really see themselves reflected back in our content. Um, You know, we're not trying to do like a overly um, airbrushed, I was gonna use that as an example, but we also don't airbrush our models. Um, we, yeah, it's just a very like candid way of creating content, I think is why it
1: resonates. Sure, and, and you bring up the Victoria's Secret um, example, like, you know, I, w- I was reading before, before we hopped on that it, Intimates is a $12 billion industry and they own, something like $8 billion worth of that, but it has been steadily declining. And one of the biggest reasons why is, or, or, or theories behind the reason why is exactly what you just talked about is that's, that doesn't really connect as much with the, uh, with the average female. And mm-hmm. I, I love what you guys have done with your creative and I, I love if we could talk about it a bit more because you mentioned like, you know, Joe making the early decision early on to use quote unquote, like I'm using big air quotes, like real mm-hmm. women, as opposed to airbrush models, um, being really vulnerable with some of the campaigns, talking about fertility challenges. And, um, and I'm just curious, like how have customers responded to that and, and did you find it? Was it challenging to get them involved in some of those campaigns or it's just, it's such a unique way to have gone to broke, to break into an industry that has never really done that before.
2: Yeah. So I think it's interesting to, again, like zoom out a couple of steps. So the way that NYX got started was Joe was working on her master's and was doing kind of like a, a project outside of that and was building like a business as like a case. And then that business became a real live business. Um, and what she found was um, women often have light bladder leaks after having a baby. When you have a baby, um, your pelvic floor muscles weaken because they're you know, working really hard to hold the baby, that baby comes out and then your muscles are like, I'm tired. <laughs> um, and so we started with leak-proof underwear. So when your company is founded on the idea of talking about the fact that women pee themselves, like young women pee themselves, it's just a very, you're, you're starting the entire conversation from a very different place. Um, and I think when, somebody is willing to say that really awkward thing out loud and women are able to see themselves reflected there's this massive sigh of relief like i'm normal i'm seen i'm a part of something and i think that you know we are constantly blown away by the number of people who volunteer to be models in their underwear and they're like you know they're not models they're just like a nurse or like you know a executive assistant or You know, any other random job that a woman can have that's not a model. Um, And they're just so excited to be a part of something where they, you know, feel seen and understood. It it feels a little bit like um, a club.
1: Mm -hmm. It reminds me, the way you just talked about that reminds me a lot of how, um, uh, blanking on her, uh, Tyler from Outdoor Voices, where she was looking for. She was just looking for running gear that wasn't like, I'm not going to be an Olympian. I just want to mm-hmm. look look good and be comfortable when I'm out running. And it's like, that's a whole, that that strategy in the intimate space makes so much sense. I'm not trying to be a Victoria's Secret model. I just want something that looks good, feels good, and has a function that I'm actually looking for. It's a really interesting way, like I said, to break into the, break into like a $12 billion space and really make, make a splash like you guys have. Mm-hmm.
0: I think this is an interesting spot to move into a little bit of a different topic. And Julia, I know that NYX is pretty much exclusively online. I know you guys have a couple um, in-store locations, but fitting a bra, that's got to be pretty (laughs) difficult for a customer to do online. And I've already taken a look at some of the stuff you guys are doing here, and it's really, really interesting. So maybe you could tell our listeners a bit about how you take that offline experience and try to recreate it online
2: totally um so yeah bra fitting is um not the easiest thing to try and do in person let alone online um finding a good bra is kind of like finding a good pair of jeans because it has to fit a lot of body parts that are kind of not always working in tandem you can have you know big hips and a small waist or in this case like a small band and a big cup um so what we've done is we've First of all, we don't use traditional bra sizing at all. We use sizing like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight um, instead of a standard like cup and bands, so like a thirty-six B. Um, so that's one thing our sizing in and of itself is a lot more forgiving because our sizes bridge multiple bra sizes so um, something that you often see in the intimates industry is um, like a sister size so if you go up in a cup you go down in a band kind of like a seesaw um, so by having sizes that bridge multiple sizing sizes sorry um it makes things easier from the jump but then you also have to train your customer to be like okay well what the heck does a size two mean um so what we've done is we kind of use like a hosiery um size chart um to do your cup and band and find where you land that way um which is actually surprisingly well received by customers um Sometimes it can be a lot to ask somebody to measure themselves. Not everyone has a measuring tape at home. I think as e-commerce is starting to get more uh, popular, customers are getting into the habit of measuring themselves. But, you know, five years ago, someone's like, you want me to have a measuring tape? Like I've got a measuring tape for like my house. I can't really put that around my body. Um, So I think moving away from... um, measuring or having an, an alternate option from actually like a true measurement, which is often what happens in store was one um, decision of ours. And we've also added this new feature, which is called virtual fit. So that is basically having a one-on-one zoom with a NYX customer service rep that will help them get your measurements, get into the right bra size. Cause a lot of women don't know their bra size as well. Um, so if if that's the case, you know our hosiery chart might not work for you. So have a chat with somebody in person, and then they'll also show you all of our products. So you can get a little bit better sense of look and feel. Um, yeah, those are two things that I think have worked really well for us.
0: I love that. It's kind of like that one-on-one consultation, and you can still do it online, even they're not, even though they're not there in the showroom with you. Like having that one-to-one Zoom interaction with the customer. Mm-hmm. How has how has that been going? Like how have the customers been reacting to that?
2: We were all so curious about how this was going to go because that's a big ask. Hey, do you want to get on Zoom and you know talk about your bra size? Um, so, but customers have been really excited about it. I think for certain customers, they really want that one on one experience. Lots of customers are going to want to self serve. They can have at it. You don't need to talk to anybody to buy our products. But for the customers who are a little bit nervous, or for the customer who is having a hard time finding their bra size maybe you just had a baby and your bras your your cup grew and then shrank and now you're kind of totally lost as to where you've landed have a conversation with somebody we're talking about bras and boobs all day long And so we know how to kind of find that middle ground when you're having like a good cut fit, but your band is really loose. And um, I mean, everybody just wants to be comfortable. Um, So I think sometimes having the opportunity to chat that out is super awesome.
1: That's great. I mean, that we, we were looking like that program is super innovative because it's it's really like responsive to what's happening in e commerce right now. Like you know, I talk about this all the time. Like what are the what are the product categories that are so traditionally they have to be in store, and then like how does that translate to an online experience? And um, not surprisingly, if you have two guys talking to one another, this is an example we did not think of. But then when we when we were looking at what Nix does, it's it, you're right. I mean, it's like it, it's a very um, uh, for lack of a better, it's like a very intimate experience typically. And now you've taken it online and, um, it just, it's, it's such a forward thinking way to bring customer experience in like a real way that forms a connection, uh, to, to the e-com experience.
2: Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting about our brand is because we're incredibly vulnerable on the internet, our customers are very vulnerable back. And I think that that's that's a lot to ask of of somebody. I mean, we're talking about our bodies. We're talking about very intimate parts of our bodies. Um, And so I think another reason why Virtual Fits has been a success for us is it, it really addresses that. It kind of you know pulls it out into the middle of the room and says like, hey, we know that this is a big conversation and that this might be more helpful one-on-one and in-person.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, another program we saw that you guys uh, have is the, the wash and wear guarantee. I, I'm just, I'm curious about that. That's that's really interesting. How did it, where did it come from um, and how, how has that gone for you?
2: Totally. Um, I would say it's gone really well, but uh, where it came from was just the types of fabrics that we use and the way that we create our seam. Um, it is a type of fabric that relaxes with a little bit of wear and so sometimes when a customer gets the product they look at it and they think like oh my gosh this is tiny it's never gonna fit Um, but we know as like customers or users of the products ourselves that if you give it a wear tossed in the wash it's gonna fit you like a glove those are two like small things that we know really improve the fit and um, we just in Giving customers that option um, found that they, you know, declined a a return in the end. So we just, it became more and more prominent as we saw customers responding well to giving it a few days and like having that kind of freedom to try.
0: It's interesting too, because you see a lot of apparel brands are like, oh, if you wash this, you can't return it, but you guys are actually encouraging them to wash it. Do you include anything like in the package to kind of educate people on this? Because I, I feel like most people aren't going to see that as like natural behavior to wash it and still be able to give it back.
2: Totally. And we do get those questions in customer service where people are like, hey, I tried it. It didn't fit. I want to make an exchange or I want to make a return. And then there's, um, you know, a nice long <laughs> email of reassurance being like, trust us, toss it in the wash. Um, and then and, and then having kind of that, you know, email validation customers will give it a try and we, we often don't hear back after that which is you know no news is good news on that um, but we do have some education along the way um, to reassure the customer that they can they can give it a try
1: and, and what, what happens afterwards like if they did if they did the wash and they they still said well this isn't right for me it doesn't fit what what's the next step in the process there?
2: then we're going to um, see if we can find them a new size. I mean, maybe it just was not a good fit. But ultimately, if, a, if it's not working for a customer, you know, they're not, we're not going to force them to keep it. Um, so if it's not working, we can obviously set up a return through you guys.
0: <laughs> and I love what you guys are doing with exchanges. And I was on the site recently and saw that when you're on the site and you go to the returns and exchanges uh, page of Nix, it's actually giving you kind of like a questionnaire when you're looking to exchange for something like what bra did you start with? Do you want just a new size? You're looking to get into something else. I really love the experience that's created. And I was just hoping Julia, if you could give us kind of like a little bit more color on what's going on with that questionnaire and how it came to be and how it's working.
2: Totally. So um, we, again, we have got strange bra sizing and customers aren't always super, you know, aware of that. So because, (laughs) try and follow me on this. I know you guys probably haven't had to figure out bra sizing for yourselves, (laughs) but (laughs) so cup and band move separately. So sometimes you want to increase your band and decrease your cup, but in the way that we size our bras, it's linear. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So how do you move up in a cup and down in a band when you're working on a linear sizing? (laughs) Long story short, it's really confusing. (laughs) So what we did is we kind of don't want the customer to resize themselves. If you've tried a three, don't try and resize yourself if it wasn't a good fit, because you're probably going to get confused along the way. I mean, lots of customers figure it out for themselves, but best case scenario is we're making the recommendation for you. So I created a logic tree that basically said, you know, does your cup fit? Yes. Does your band fit? No. Okay. Was it too tight, too loose? And then kind of where do we go from there? Um, And we basically just took what we were doing in customer service for so long and made a logic tree out of it. And it just saved the customer a lot of headache and also allowed us to add a little bit of education along the way, because if you're in a size three and it was too big and you're being told to go to a size four, you're like, oh, you typed that wrong, (laughs) but you actually sometimes do need to go from a three to a four to go down. Mm -hmm. Um, So adding in some education when we make that recommendation is super helpful. Um, It also allows us to do little things like, oh, you don't need a new size. You just need a band extender or, oh, you don't need a new size. You just need to give it a wash and a wear Um, and just give alternate options um, than just a return or exchange. Um, And interestingly, that tool came out of (laughs) – I'm not going to say it was a failed project because I think we learned a lot um, and ultimately turned into this awesome exchange tool, which really decreased our customer service uh, outreach, which was great um, to kind of save time from our customer service reps there. But we had created a a sizing tool on the front end of purchase. So when you land on the site and you're trying to figure out what bra size to buy, we had this big, long questionnaire. Um, And we realized that that customers weren't really struggling with that. Um, that wasn't where we were having the biggest hurdle. Our, our sizing is pretty forgiving, so the best thing you can do is to, to get into a size and then adjust from there um, if it's not working. But um, yeah, it was kind of this happy accident. It was like, like I said earlier in the podcast, a lot of our, our ideas are kind of tangents of other, other projects. And this was a perfect example of that. We no longer have that um, sizing tool on site, but the exchange tool has been uh, a home run. And I know our customer service reps really appreciate that it's on there because it saves them a bit of a repetitive task.
1: Uh, you, you took my next question away from me because I was going to say, this just reminds me so much of like, I think of like a, like a mattress company. How they always have like the the sleep fit quiz at mm-hmm. the beginning, and then they recommend a product. It's so interesting that you guys have moved that to the post product or the post purchase experience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. That's 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 really interesting. Uh, what what is what's keeping you up at night right now as as an ecom product manager? What what are the things that that you're thinking about for for the rest of the year?
2: Yeah, I think for me kind of previous to what I previously said about so many people customers getting trained up on how to shop online um I'm really curious to see how I mean Black Friday Cyber Monday was already such a digital experience anyway and was bringing people a lot online but I think holiday shopping is going to be really different this year with so many more people, not only shopping online, but being good at shopping online, knowing how to shop online. Um, Have their expectations shifted? Have their expectations risen? Um, I think as well, knowing like the power of Amazon what has Amazon trained our customers to expect? Um, and can some of these smaller G2 c brands keep up? I think those are two things that i'm I'm really curious to see how they play out and are definitely top of mind as we create our kind of h two second half of the year strategy.
0: those are those are all like all really interesting. and I think like what's keeping you up at night probably like plays into, Um, the type of projects that you're going to be picking up. And maybe they're not the ones that you work on tomorrow. It's more of those ones that like are kind of holding in the back of your mind for a little bit later on. But I know we talked a bit about like how you find projects, but I would love to know what your favorite project you have worked on as an econ product manager is.
2: Totally. Uh, I think... It was actually something very recently. We just launched Kits, which is a one-click add-to-cart experience for multiple products. Um, So basically you're adding, you know, seven or eight products to cart with one click. Um, And that was super interesting for a number of reasons. One, it... Um, we've, we've seen customers reacting really positively to it. So that's always, you know, icing on the cake of a, of a good project, but it was really enjoyable to, to work on it. I I worked a lot with our lead developer. Her name's Ajanti. She is so much smarter than me. Um, and it, it felt like, um, a really good Sudoku puzzle where you're like, you know that there's a solution because it's kind of baked in. Like we knew we could do this. We just weren't sure how we were going to be able to do it and how much um, customization we were going to be able to give to the customer. Were we going to have to, you know, force the color and the silhouette or would they be able to, you know, make certain modifications or would we have to kind of say you're getting this product and this product in these colors and these silhouettes and like be really narrow with it um yeah it was, it was a very fun project
0: so did you end up um having more kind of like pre-built kits or was it someone kind of constructing their own kit
2: it kind of landed somewhere in the middle so i think a big driver for us with kits is to limit the decision fatigue of online shopping i think that's also going to be something really interesting as as customers get um more used to online shopping, kind of there in a, in a physical mall, there's a limit to how many stores you can go in. Uh, on the internet, <laughs> that is not the case. So there's, you have to kind of think about the decision, the decision fatigue for a customer doesn't start and end on your site, it starts and ends on the internet. Um, so what are you doing to make your site super simple, super clear? Um, so we kind of found a happy medium, basically the way that it works is you get three pairs of underwear where you get to pick your silhouette, And then you get two items that are prescribed. Um, And then depending on which kit you pick, you can get different levels of absorbency for our leak-proof underwear.
0: I like that. The too much choice online is a very, very real problem. Like I come onto sites all the time and I'm actually just intimidated by how many options I have. So I like the idea of you guys kind of like recommending what's going on there because when I'm shopping, a lot of times I'm like, what's best, just tell me what that is. So landing in the happy medium there's really interesting
1: right right totally totally agree and you know julia the the way you talk about you know the way you talk about training people to shop online and then also understanding like trying to try to balance that with like you have existing people who have been trained over some period of time but now we have this huge wave of new people um when you look at that like combination and, and then the fact that so many like big retail giants are moving all their operations online what do you what do you see next i mean if it feels like you have a really good view uh, like you're you're able to sort of like look around corners because you've been so tightly connected to customers like what do you think is next for e-commerce like where do you think is the next frontier that no one has really tackled yet
2: um i think it's not that no one's tackled it but i don't think that people are tackling it in a way that aids to the customer journey. Anyway, this is bearing the lead. I'm really excited about um, AI. Um, Mm. I think augmented or AR rather, augmented reality um, is so, so interesting. I think that I've seen it on a couple sites. So like Herschel does a backpack and you can like basically Mm. put the backpack on a friend to get a sense of like size. And I know that Nike did something really cool where you could um, design, you could draw on a sneaker and like kind of design it that way, which was super fun, but they all feel gimmicky. I never have, I haven't seen an AR where I'm like, this is helping me buy. Um, I wanna be able to get a sense of like touch and feel. I wanna get a sense of texture of movement because those are the things that are so hard to capture in a still image. Um, I was shopping on cotton, which is another Shopify brand. I bought some shirts and I got them and I tried them on. I was like, oh, this sucks. I love these. And I didn't think I was going to like them this much. Cause I just thought the photos were kind of flat, but I put it on. I was like, this is so comfortable. It moves with me. And this was completely not captured. I mean, I still bought it.
1: <laughs>
2: Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I, I, I was so curious to think about, you know, how would that have made my purchase journey different? Um, if I was able to you know, again, see that movement, see that texture, those, those hard to capture moments of, of, of still images.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it definitely is. I mean, I know Shopify has come out with features that make that a little bit easier for, uh, for brands and merchants to use. Um, but the, you're right. Like the effectiveness of how certain brands use it, like Herschel stands out. Um, I've done it with, um, a sunglass brand that I can't quite think of that I bought sunglasses from, but it was only after like, you know, you can turn your camera on and see what they actually look like on you. So creating a more sort of immersive experience, I think is, I think is sort of what you're saying. Like, so, so you can, um, you know, it, it, it replaces replaces physically being in the store and just one other way.
2: Yeah. I think the best kind of example that I've seen in the industry is with Kylie cosmetics. Um, and, like, lip color, I think, I mean, lot, I think everyone has tried a Snapchat filter in their life. Um, mm-hmm. And those are always so impressive. And, I mean, you go on TikTok and, like, TikTok can change the color of my hair in a way that's, like, incredibly realistic. Why can I not try a shirt on?
1: <laughs> right, right, right.
2: <laughs> Getting fired up. Um, yep. But, yeah, I think I think that there's just infinite possibility there. It's going to be cool. I'm excited.
1: Agreed, agreed. Well, listen. Thank you for thank you so much for coming on, um, imparting all of this wisdom on us. Uh, super educational, both in the sense of giving us a better understanding and give our listeners a better understanding of, of what your role is and really what the, what it's, what it's moving towards in the future. I think we got a glimpse into, and again, telling us a bit about the next story. I mean, the way that you guys approach your marketing, both on the uh, the experience side and the post purchase side, is really really neatly tied together. And I think what lives in the middle there is the customer and customer connection and customer experience. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. And, and for, for our listeners, like where, where could they find you or interact with you? Like Twitter, LinkedIn, blog, where, where can they find you?
0: Uh, yeah.
2: If you search Julia Friesen on Medium, I have some posts talking about e and product management there, or you can find me on LinkedIn.
1: Cool. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll link to that in the, in the show notes too, to make it easier for the listeners. So great. Well, thank you again, Julie. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: That's been the
0: exchange presented by Luke, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.